happy Easter, everybody. Man, it is so good to have you all here in the room today and those of you joining us online. Listen, I want you to know that I know how awkward it can be to be the new person in a new place, especially if that place is a church. So if this is your first time or the first time in a long time you've been back to church, we are just honored that you chose to be here with us today. And uh, man, it's, it's just good to be in this place. Last year, we weren't. And so it's good to be back. This is my first Sunday, first Easter Sunday in person at OCC. So thanks for coming out. This, this is great, man. Yeah. And we want you to know, if you're newer around here, we want you to know that regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, regardless of what you believe about Jesus and God and all that, that this is a safe place for you to be. Because we believe this is a safe place to belong even before you believe. Because we believe that God loves you just as you are, that he receives you just as you are, that he cares for you just as you are. But the best part of all of it is that he loves you way too much to leave you as you are. And so this is a great place. If you got questions, if you have doubts, you're in the right place. Because that's why we all gather here every weekend. That's what we do, is we unpack some of God's word because all of us are still in process. None of us have it all totally figured out. None of us have it all together. We're still learning. We still have questions. We still have doubts. So there's no better place to be. In fact, what you experience today is pretty typical of what we do most weekends here. We'll dig into God's word. We want to learn from it and explain it. Most of all, we want to apply it to our lives so we can be changed by it. So that's what we're up to when we gather here. And to that end, I want to invite you to join us back next weekend as we kick off a new series called Revealed. And we'll be taking a look at the book of Revelation. And I don't know what you've been told about Revelation. Some of you all might think, well, that's the kind of scary book with the the crazy stuff at the end of the Bible. I don't know. Maybe you try and stay away from that. But contrary to what you may have been told, it is not some end of time mystery that we got to figure out. Just on the opposite, it is a book of hope, a message of hope for all times for God's people, especially in difficult times. So I hope you join us next week as we begin to reveal the hope that God has for us for these uncertain times we're living in. Well, I grew up in Springfield, Illinois, the land of Lincoln. Abe Lincoln. Now, I know some of y'all down here in Kentucky, you want to claim Lincoln for yourselves because he was born here, right? But when he grew up, he chose to live in Springfield. Now, I'm just saying. Like, that's where he chose to raise his family. That's where he chose to live. That's where he had his law practice. That's where he became a politician. That's where he lived and worked and all that stuff. That's where he was when he ran for president. And you, you can still visit his house there. And then he went out to D.C. He was president there for a while and got assassinated. And it's in Springfield that Lincoln is buried. In fact, it's where he was buried and reburied and re-reburied. After Lincoln was assassinated, they brought his body back to Springfield, Illinois, and they built a tomb for him. And if you go to Springfield, Illinois today, that's one of the top visitor attractions in Springfield. A dead president's grave. Like, we got a lot going for us in Springfield. I mean, it says a lot about my hometown, doesn't it? We got corn, soybeans, and Abe Lincoln. And if you're a Simpsons fan, we got Homer, too. But, like, that's my hometown. But when he was, uh, after he was killed, they built this tomb for him. But while they were building the grand tomb, they had to put him in a temporary tomb at first. But then his 
grand tomb needed to be constructed and reconstructed and fixed, and there were problems over the years. And then there were grave robbers who tried to steal his body. And Lincoln's coffin was moved 17 times in the 50 years following his death. 17 times before his son finally said, we're going to stop this nonsense, and we're going to bury dad's coffin inside of a vault of 10-foot solid concrete. And that's where he is today. But during those 17 moves and during those 50 years of waiting to finally enter him, they opened his coffin five different times. You know what they discovered every time they looked inside Lincoln's coffin? That's right. He was still there. Now, it was just a few days after Jesus was crucified, killed, and buried that some of his friends went to his tomb. And you know what they discovered when they got there? Jesus was not there. Luke, the early church historian, records the eyewitness accounts this way. It says, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They were going there to honor Jesus' body and prepare it more officially. When Jesus was first buried, it was a rush job. They had to get it done right away. And so they were going to honor him. But when they got to the tomb, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus there. And they stood there puzzled. Puzzled. Why? Because they would expect what you and I would expect if we showed up at the grave of somebody we cared about just a few days after they had been put in the grave. We'd expect they'd still be there. But these women showed up and Jesus' body is gone, and so they're confused. Uh, Where'd he go? What do we do? What happened? What's going on here? They expected to find him and he was not there. So John records that Mary Magdalene ran back and told the disciples, they, whoever they are, she didn't know who they were, but she just knew somebody has taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. The most logical conclusion was that somebody had stolen the body, that the body is gone. Now, this Story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they did not believe it. Now, maybe there's a little lesson there for us guys to listen up to the women in our lives. We're not getting into that today. So, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb. Now, they didn't all go because they were hiding out. They were in fear. Their leader had been killed. They were afraid what might happen to them, so only a few of them went. But Peter jumped up, ran to the tomb, and to take a look. And stooping, he peered in, and he saw the empty linen wrappings. Now, these linen wrappings is what they used to wrap Jesus' body when he was first put in the grave. And the cloth was still there, but the body was not. So, Peter went home again, wondering what had happened? You'll notice, Peter did not run away saying, he's resurrected, he's alive, everybody rejoice, woo! No, Pete walks away confused because he expected what you and I would expect if we show up to the grave of somebody we love. We'd expect the body would still be there. And they'd expect him to still be dead because that's what dead people do. They stay dead. But Peter walks away wondering what happened. And that's a great question. That's a question that you and I got to answer. Because our answer to that question changes everything for our eternity. What happened with Jesus' tomb, what happened with Jesus' body, your eternity hinges on your answer to that question. 
Because we know the end of the story, right? We know why we gather today. We've already sung about it. We've already prayed about it. We've already rejoiced in that, that Jesus raised from the tomb. But none of them expected that. If, if you're here today and you aren't sure about this, you know, you, you're in a spot where you're saying, man, I don't know about the resurrection. I'm, I don't believe in the resurrection. I want you to know you're in really good company because Jesus' best friends were in the same spot as you. Initially, they didn't believe either. They, they didn't believe. They, listen, everybody expected to find a body. Nobody expected to find no body. Every single one of Jesus' followers, when they went to the tomb, they appeared in, they were expecting to find his body there. Nobody was anticipating a resurrection. Nobody was thinking, oh yeah, he got up and he walked out of the grave. Like that just wasn't part of it. They weren't anticipating the resurrection. It's not like it was a New Year's Eve kind of celebration. They're outside the grave doing a big countdown. All right, put on the party hats, put on the little blow things. You know, they're like, all right, count down. The sun's about to rise. Here we go. 10, 9, 8. It's going to be good. Get the confetti. Woo. And one of them's a dud. So, but you know, it, it wasn't like that. There was no confetti. There was no celebration. There was no surprise. There was nothing like that. Because all of them, every single one of them, expected Jesus to stay dead. Nobody was anticipating a resurrection. Their hope, their dreams, their joy had all been buried in the tomb with Jesus. When he was crucified, when he was buried, so was their trust, so was their hope, so was their belief. It's just gone. It vanished. Each of them expected what we would expect. And nobody expected a resurrection. It's one of the things that lends so much credibility to their eyewitness account, to their testimony. It's because they all documented their own skepticism and their own unbelief. Every single one of them, they documented their disbelief. Like the words we read today are their words saying, I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't have any framework for this thing to happen. Jesus told us we didn't get it. Oh, they documented their own disbelief. So if you have some disbelief, you're in really good company. In fact, after the crucifixion and after the burial of Jesus, Jesus' friends were hiding out in fear. Because they were thinking, our leader has been captured and killed. So what does that mean for us? They know who his followers are. They know that we linked up with him. What are they going to do to us? We're afraid and they're hiding out. And it's there behind locked doors that Jesus shows up on the scene. Luke records it this way. Jesus shows up and asks, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look, look at my feet. You can clearly see it's me. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Jesus is right there with them. And they're like, I don't get it. I just didn't compute. Last year, my sweet mama turned 83, and I'll get in trouble for saying how old she turned, but she turned 83, and it was her first birthday since my dad had passed. And my sister and I had both moved out of state, and my mom, during the pandemic, she was afraid she was going to be alone for her birthday, but my two brothers who lived relatively close by said, well, we'll try and get there. We'll see mom on her birthday. She doesn't have to be alone. And then my sis, being who my sis is, flies back, like two days early, surprises my mom. Which leaves me as the youngest, as the only lame kid who's not going to be there for mom's birthday. So I did what you would think I would do. I decided that day, man, I'm driving up there. So I drive up, and as I pull into the street, I call my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, 
happy birthday, really wish I could be there with you today, sorry I can't, you know, I'm glad everybody else is there to celebrate with you, I hope it's a great day, and my sweet mom, she's like, oh, honey, that's okay, I know you'd be here if you could, you know, so I pull into the driveway, I walk into the front door, I'm still talking, so well, you know the kids and I and Jen, we'll be up there in a few weeks, and we'll see you then, I just really wish I could be with you, oh, sweetie, I know, don't worry about it, it's okay, it's not a big deal, I turn the corner, and I'm looking at my mom, and here we are, right? We're having this conversation on the phone. I said, well, mom, I hope you have a really good birthday. Really wish I could be with you. And my mom, still looking at me now in the eyes, still talking on the phone, sweetie, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. I'll see you in a couple. Wait a second. <laughs> and it just couldn't compute in her mind. It just didn't make sense that she thought I was still five plus hours away, and there I am standing in her living room with her other three kids. My mom, who was afraid she was going to be alone on her birthday during the pandemic, all of a sudden, we're all in this living room together with her, and it just didn't make sense. She had joy and confusion just colliding. And I wonder, I wonder if maybe, just maybe, that was kind of like what it must have been for the disciples who had this joy that Jesus is standing right there with them. They see the evidence that it's him, undoubtedly him. But how? Like what in the world? So they, they just can't even comprehend this. It doesn't make any sense to them. And I want you to notice, the disciples, they weren't out looking for him. They weren't out searching the streets and saying, his body's gone, who's got him, let's find out. They were saying, oh, maybe Jesus... Like, maybe he wasn't really dead, and he came back, and he overpowered Roman guards, and he moved this huge stone, you know, like, superhuman strength. No, like, that didn't make any sense. Like, he was dead. His body's gone. What's going on? They're, they're hiding out. They're not even searching for his body. And Jesus came to them right where they are, as they are. And that's exactly how he wants to come to you, right where you are, just as you are. Jesus met them in their unbelief. He met them in their confusion. He met them in their hiding. He met them in their fear. He met them in their disbelief. He met them in their doubting. He met them in their sorrow and their loneliness. And he came to them. And Jesus looks at his friend Peter and says, Peter, you walked away from my grave wondering what happened. Well, let me tell you what happened, Pete. And Jesus says, you know, it was written long ago that the Messiah, by the way, that's me, would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. That's today. Here I am. Woohoo. It says it was also written that this was, I think Jesus would have said, woohoo, once in a while. Don't you? It says it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of my name to all the nations beginning right here in Jerusalem. And here's the message there's forgiveness of sins for everyone who repents. And you are witnesses of all these things that have happened. You want to know what happened? You saw it happen. I tried to teach you this, it didn't quite compute, but here we are. And you've seen these things happen. You saw me crucified, dead, buried, and now you see me alive right here with you. You saw what happened, and now I want you to go tell everybody else what happened. I want you to let them know that my grave is empty because I'm the one, the only one, who has the power to rob the grave. But it's not just my grave I'm going to be robbing. I'm going to rob your grave too. And the beautiful thing is that's why we're here today. Because these people who were friends of Jesus, who were followers of Jesus, watched him be killed. They watched him get buried. And they saw him come back to life. And they ate with him. And they talked with him. And they put their hands on his wounds. And they hung out with him. And they laughed with him. And they talked with him. And then they spent the rest of their lives telling everyone else about him. 
These people who saw Jesus dead saw him come back alive. And, and in that, that they had this resurrected confidence. They had a resurrected commitment to the mission and the ministry. They, they had a resurrected hope all because they had a resurrected Savior. And that's really good news for us. Because that changed their testimony. That moved them from fear and disbelief to conviction and mission. And they passed that message on to us. Their friend who they watched die was now alive again. Jesus proved to be the great grave robber. He said, yeah, somebody took the body. It was me. I, I did walk out. I am your Savior. I'm the Messiah. I love the testimony of those people. I just want us to consider one of their testimonies today. Just thinking of Peter. Peter was one of the first guys called by Jesus to follow him. So Peter was a student. He was a friend. Peter hung out with Jesus for three years. These guys were buddies, like best friends. So Pete saw all the miracles Jesus did. He, he saw all the healings and all that. He was there for all the teaching that Jesus did. But more than that, like these guys just hung out. They walked down the road together. They ate meals together. They had the campfires together. They slept in tents together. They, you know, got up in the morning on those, you know, times where they were came from one place to another. Pete undoubtedly looked at Jesus at one point and was like, bro, halitosis is a real thing, man. Mouthwash. Woo! Right? The dragon's breathing fire. Like, come on. I mean, they had that kind of buddy-buddy friendship. The realness of Jesus, the realness of Peter. These guys were friends. And so Peter believed in Jesus. Like, all of his hope, all of belief in Jesus. But then, when Jesus got arrested, it totally shook Pete's belief, and he was, he was confused. Peter takes out his sword to fight, and Jesus like, Pete, bro, put the sword away. That's not how it's going to go down. So Pete has this confused belief. And, and then he gets confronted by these little school-age girls. They're like, aren't you Jesus' friend? And he's like, no, no, I, don't, I never knew the guy. And he totally disbelieves that he's, or totally discounts that he's ever believed in him. And then when Jesus is buried after the crucifixion, Peter's belief is just gone. It's vanished. None. But then when Peter encounters the resurrected Jesus, this Peter who had believed and then unbelieved and denied he had ever believed, suddenly re-believes with more conviction and more faith than ever before. In fact, he believed so much that he would give his life for that, telling everyone he could everywhere he went about his friend Jesus. In fact, he died a brutal death at the hands of a nasty Roman dictator because Peter would not stop inviting everyone else to believe in his friend Jesus. Peter saw his friend die, and then come back to life. That Pete didn't believe, Pete wasn't convinced because he had gone to synagogue when he was little, because his parents had told him some good stories about what God had done through the years. Peter wasn't convinced because of anything like that, because his parents or his church or his friends, because he'd heard the stories. Peter believed because he saw his friend die and then come back to life. And I'm gonna say, that's gotta be a pretty convincing argument. When the resurrected Jesus is standing face to face with you, you will believe. And it changed everything for Peter. Peter went from hiding to preaching. In fact, not long after the resurrection, check out the message he preached to a group of people, the people there in Jerusalem who had killed Jesus. And this is a pretty tough message. It says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. You saw him, dude. You saw the miracles. You ate some of that fish. You ate some of that bread. You were there. You were on the hillside. You know what was up. But God knew what would happen. And God's prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. 
And then with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. That's a pretty tough message for Peter to preach to the people who killed Jesus. You put this guy to death. Listen, we got to pause there. Because it wasn't just them. This is where you and I come into the story. That, that we have a part to play in this as well. That every single one of us has sin. It just means we have gone against God in some way. We've rebelled against God. We've chosen our way instead of his way. Every single one of us has sin. And because of our sin, our sin means we gripped the nails and the hammer that put Jesus on the cross. That we gripped the whip that tore into his back. That we formed with our sin the thorns that would pierce his brow. That our sins, no less than anyone else, shouted, crucify him from the crowd. That our sins are what put him in the tomb. So Pete's message here is for you and me too. That this Jesus we killed. But I'm so glad this story doesn't stop there. But God, such beautiful words that change everything. But God released Jesus from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Death couldn't hold him down. Death could not stop Jesus. And I love this because Pete here is doing a little play on words. That this horrors of death, actually if we dig into the original language, the Greek language that they would have spoken and written the Bible in originally, the, the language there says the pangs of death. And it's a weird usage for the word pang. I think pang is a weird word anyway. But pangs usually refers to childbearing, to labor, to birth. And here, Pete is using it to refer to death, doing something totally different with this word, changing up what this word means. He's, in effect, comparing the tomb to a womb. It says, Jesus went into that grave, went into that tomb, but that tomb became a womb. It could not hold him down. Death would not win. Life was bursting forth. The misery of that tomb was giving birth to a brand new hope for all of us, for all eternity. That's what was happening right there. And then Pete continues on. He said, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. We've hung out with him, we've seen him, you know, you know this to be true. And now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, the one you crucified, He's made him to be both Lord and Messiah. Now, we got to call time out there because we don't use those words a whole lot, Lord and Messiah. So let me just unpack what that means. Messiah just means the Savior they were waiting for. God's people knew they couldn't save themselves. They knew they had sinned, and their sin had broken relationship with God. The penalty for that sin is death, an eternal separation from God. We all have that. We all have that. We all have sin. We're stained by it. And so the only way to cover over that is by death. So Jesus took the death that we deserved as our Messiah, as our Savior, to save us from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, and he paid that death. The consequence of our sin is Jesus dying for us so that we could be restored to relationship with God. So here's what that means for us. It means we know that God is for us. Why? Because Jesus died for us. 
And, and if God is for us and Jesus died for us, then we know we can trust him to lead us. And that's all Lord means. Lord means leader, the leader of our lives, that he is the one we'll trust to lead us. So he's for us because he died for us. That means we can trust him to lead us. Jesus has nailed our sin, our shame to the cross so that we can have a future full of hope and life now and forever. Without Jesus, we are dead in our sin. We have no hope. We are not good enough. We cannot earn it. We cannot do enough good. But the good news is that Jesus turned a morgue into a delivery room for hope and life for you and me. And so, that's what happened at that tomb. Pete walked away saying, well, what happened? And that's what happened. And then Pete says, his words, his words pierced the hearts of everybody listening that day. And they said to him and to the other apostles, well, what do we do about this? What should we do? And that's the second question. First, we've got to figure out what happened to Jesus. When Jesus came out of the tomb, proved himself to be Savior and Lord. So what does that mean for us? And this is what Pete told him to do about it. He replied, each of you must repent of your sins. Now, this isn't, you know, your parents have this belief, you go to church, you do all this. He says, you yourselves got to own that. That's true for us, too. He says, you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke, the historian of the early church who wrote the Gospel of Luke based on eyewitness accounts, and then writes this book, we, we call it the Book of Acts. It's just the history of the early church, the history of God's activity right after the resurrection. And, and that's where he's recording, Luke is recording Peter's sermon here. And every time throughout that early church history in Acts that we see somebody acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and Savior, they say, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to turn to you, I'm going to follow you. Every time that person's baptized. That's how they seal the deal. That's how they say, I mean, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm going to get baptized. And that might look a little weird to us. Like baptized just means you get dunked in the water. And that might seem a little strange. But what it is, is it's a birth and it's a new beginning. It's a cleansing. See, in the water of baptism, your sin is washed away, your past washed away, your guilt washed away. And not because that water is super special or holy or there's like magic in the water. No, we are not saved by the water. We are saved by the Savior. But it's there in baptism that we declare our allegiance to Jesus, that we say, I'm all in with you. It's there in the water where we say that this is where it starts. And then there's nothing you have to accomplish before baptism. There's nothing that you need to to, to like get your life all together and figure everything out and, and like be a better person. Like that just doesn't make sense because that's where it begins is in the water. And there's nothing you need to believe beyond that you need Jesus to be your Savior and you'll trust him to be your Lord before getting baptized. I mean, those are the only two questions we got to answer before that. There's just two questions. What happened with Jesus? Did Jesus walk out of the grave? If so, that means he's Savior and that means he's earned the spot to be Lord, to be leader. And so what will I do about that? Well, if Jesus is my Savior, then I can trust him as my Lord. That means I can surrender my life to him knowing that I'm going to get a much better life in return. That's the gospel. That's what it's all about. At baptism, we simply declare, Jesus, I will turn to you. I will trust you. Jesus, I'll put my hope in you. At baptism, we simply declare, I'll trust you. I'll look to you. And I'll do my best to follow you. That's it. Now, Maybe you're thinking, yeah, but I got a lot more questions. I, I, I got to get all my questions answered. Listen, we don't get all our questions answered before we make any major decision in life. 
We, we got some people in here been married, who are married, right? You, you get all the questions answered before marriage? No. In fact, like a month or two after marriage, you know you got a lot more questions on the back side than you did on the front side. Like, mm-hmm, yeah. What do you do with the toothpaste? What do you do with the, the, the towels? What are you doing with the dishwasher? What do you, like, what? You parked the car weird. I mean, there's just questions come. Like, how many of y'all decide to have kids? You know, like, it, it doesn't take, it, it takes about a day. And you realize you have way more questions on the back side than you do on the front side if you should have kids. Like, you just change that first diaper and you're like, that's tar. What is it? Whoa, hold up. I'm out, right? Like questions galore just come flooding in. You decide to take a new job. You get questions. You, you decide to move to a new city. You got questions and they're not answering. You, you decide to like switch schools for the kids, this or that. Now, we make any major decision. We don't get all the questions answered. We simply make the decision because of this one thing, because we believe there's a better future for us if we do. We make that decision because we believe our future is better if we do. And it's no different with following Jesus. We go all in with Jesus because we know, we believe there's going to be a better future for us if we do. doesn't mean we have all our questions answered. Jesus never said you got to have it all cleaned up before you come to me. He never said you got to believe all the right things before you come to me. He never said you got to have all your questions answered before you come to me. He just said, you come and you trust me and we'll figure it out together from there. So bring your baggage, bring your doubts, bring your mess, bring your screw-ups, bring all of that. Bring your failures and your fears and all of it. You bring it to me and we'll walk together from then on. And we'll get it figured out. That's what Jesus says to us. See, baptism is the starting line, not the finish line. How many mamas we got in the room today or online? Go ahead, raise your hand. You can be proud of the little one sitting next to you. Yeah, get your hands up. All right, mamas. How many of you mamas gave birth to a six-foot, 200-pound bearded baby boy? Anybody? I'm not asking if you felt like you did. We only get into all that. And I'm sure some of you are like, hmm, I felt it. Now, yeah. But nobody comes out of the womb like physically mature, nor do we come out of the water of baptism spiritually mature. That's where we begin. It's a starting line, not a finish line. That's where it all begins. So listen, Pete tells everybody, this is what happened with Jesus. He's savior, he's leader. He walked out of that grave by his own power. And because that happened, something needs to happen with you. You need to give your life to him. You need to surrender your life to him and find true life in him. And check out what happened when he said this. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church when? That day. Everybody say that day. That day. About 3,000 in all. Because what happened with Jesus? What should happen with us? Friend, that's the question you got to answer today. What does this mean for you? What will happen for you this day? We want to give you the same invitation that Peter gave that crowd that day to be baptized into him. And some of you, you came here today like the disciples going to that tomb and, and you showed up needing a resurrection of hope, a resurrection of joy, a resurrection of belief. And the good news is we serve a God of resurrection. And I want you to hear this. Some of y'all really need to hear this. You are not your failure. You are not your past. You are not that abortion. You are not that addiction. You are not that screw up or that mess up. You're way more than that. And some of you, you're not all those good things in your life. You are not that awesome physique. You are not that big bank account. You are not that sports car. You are not that fancy house or that trophy spouse. For some of you, you're not your bankruptcy. You're not that DUI. You're not that breakup. You're not that failed relationship or that failed job endeavor. You are way more than your worst failure, and you are way more than your greatest success. You are somebody created in the image of God to know God Loved by God. God's heart grieves to know you. But you are just like every one of us. 
a sinner in need of a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And you need to get along in with him. That's who you are. So this day, you have a decision to make. And some of you, you're thinking, whoa, whoa, are you inviting me to get back? But it's like Easter Sunday, man. Like, I can't, like, we're dressed up. We're going out to eat. We're going to, you know, I got family with us. It's all, listen, there's nobody in your life who's going to be upset with you that they had to wait a few extra minutes because you decided to make that decision this day. And it's okay, man. Your reservation will still be there at the place you're going to go eat afterwards. The food's going to be fine. It doesn't matter how old you are. A few years ago, I got to baptize my mom. She was in her 70s at the time. You're never too old. You've never been at church too long if you've never done it. You're never too new. I baptized people on their first day, and maybe this is your first day with us. Listen, if you know you need Jesus, and you know you need him to save you, and you're going to trust him to lead you, then you're ready to be baptized today. And we got everything to take care of. You're like, yeah, oh, man, I'm, I'm like in my Easter best. Listen, we got swim trunks for you to wear. We, we got shirts so you can be modest, and you get to take the shirt home with you. We got towels and changing rooms. We got people to help you. We got all that taken care of. In fact, even if you want to stay in your other clothes, we, we got dry undies so you don't have to go home with wet skivvies. Like, we've thought of everything. It's weird, right? But listen, we've thought of it all. We got it all taken care of. There is nothing that needs to stand in your way. If you know that you need to go all in with Jesus today, then in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to make your way right down there. We're going to get out those doors, and I'm going to meet you in the water, and we'll declare it today all in with him. All right, we're going to stand. We're going to pray in just a moment. And if you know that you're ready to make that decision, don't delay. We'll celebrate with you, and I'll meet you in that water. Let's stand, and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are who you say you are, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of glory. That you came out of that tomb. Nobody robbed that grave except you. You stepped out of that grave. And all because you love us. Because you have the power over death, over Satan, over sin, over fear, over shame. That you have the power to resurrect. And God, we know you want to do a resurrecting work right here today. And so God, for those who have never gone all in with you, I pray that this day would be their day to be all in with you. God, give them the courage. Give them, give them what they need. Holy Spirit, move in them. That we will celebrate today. There's no better day than Resurrection Sunday to celebrate our resurrection with you, Lord. And so, God, we claim you as Savior. We look to you as leader. We follow you. We praise you. And so, God, may this, the words of this next song, may that be our Easter prayer, that the God who resurrects is still in the business of resurrecting us. And we pray it in your name for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.